Hi, you're listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. We're releasing our sermons so that no matter where you were Friday, you can enjoy a piece of Shabbat today. So take a deep breath, relax, and enjoy some words from Rabbi Dina. In the last couple of years, really even just in the last couple of months, Several of my friends and rabbinic colleagues have posted beautiful and heart-wrenching stories about their own fertility journeys. And they've shared stories of pregnancy loss, of their years long struggle to get pregnant, sometimes without a happy ending. And I've heard similar stories from some of you who have shared them with me about your yearning for a child, about the grief and disappointment that you have suffered in that process. And I've shared in your joy in welcoming children into your families. I think I've done more than a dozen baby namings since starting at Mishkan. Today, a friend and colleague of mine, Rabbi Rabbi Rafi Spitzer, published an op-ed telling the story of his and his wife's struggle to have a child. He tells that twice his wife got pregnant, only to be told by her doctor that her pregnancy wasn't viable. She was told that her best option was to take a medicine that would induce her uterus to reject the pregnancy. The, med- the medicine he was given, he, she, she was given, he shared, is the same that is sometimes used in medically induced abortions, the same medicine that the Supreme Court earlier this year ruled to limit access to in an attempt to prevent people from terminating pregnancies. He wrote, when I think about the trauma of miscarriage in my own experience and in the experiences of congregants and friends who have confided in me, The idea that our government would add another level of trauma by decreasing access to safe, good, and just healthcare is deeply upsetting. And while we have rituals to celebrate and welcome a new life in Jewish tradition and to mark milestones throughout that life, we don't actually have great Jewish traditions to honor the fear and anxiety and sadness that many people feel when choosing to terminate a pregnancy Nor do we have rituals to sanctify fertility treatments, to mourn miscarriages, to console the dashed hopes of those who are struggling to have a child. These experiences are very real and they're very common, and yet they are still shrouded in secrecy and tears and whispers, but they don't need to be. Our sacred texts teach us again and again that these stories have a place in our community. The Parsha this week, Mishpatim, is mostly a long list of laws, 53 in total, which cover a range of subjects from personal damages and punishments for serious crimes like murder and kidnapping and property laws and laws to protect slaves and indentured servants and even some commandments about observing holidays. And at the end of this list of laws is a promise from God. If you live in the ways that I'm asking you, God says, No person will experience infertility or miscarriage and you will live out the fullness of your days. This promise strikes me as highly aspirational in the same vein as the promise in Deuteronomy that there will be no needy among us. It's a utopian vision, not a description of a concrete cause and effect. So what this promise shows us then is a reminder that we don't hold the keys to life and death. Only God does. Those are out of our hands. But by living with that recognition that we cannot control everything in our lives, we can actually fulfill the second half of that verse and experience the fullness of life. By giving ourselves over to what is out of our control, 
and allowing to ourselves to feel the emotions of it from joy to sadness and everywhere in between, we can experience a more full version of our lives. Pregnancy is mysterious, it's miraculous, its ultimate outcome is not up to us, however we may try. But Jewish tradition also firmly believes that we should control what we can. Unlike other religious traditions who believe that if God is in charge of pregnancy, we have no right to interfere with it, Judaism believes that life starts at birth and permits contraception, even terminating pregnancies when it's in the best interest of the person who is or could be pregnant. So in a Parsha of laws, we're reminded of the very first law that God gave to human beings in the very first chapter of the Torah. Be fruitful and multiply, God says, and become masters and guardians of the earth. And again, here we see, here is something that I want you to try to do that is out of your control. And here is something you can do, you can control. Be fruitful and multiply, but ultimately I control that. God says, be masters and guardians of the earth, that's in your hands. We know the stories that follow in the Torah, the ways that God's promise to Abraham that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars. It feels empty, maybe even mocking after the years of struggling to get pregnant that Abraham and Sarah experience. We read the story of Rebecca's suffering as she endures a difficult pregnancy and she demands that God care for her and answer for her pain. We read about Rachel's desperation to get pregnant, her inability to appreciate the love she has in her life because of her unanswered prayers for a child. And we read about her sister Leah, who has a continued feeling of emptiness, even though she is able to bear children. A reminder to us that our feelings do not always follow our bodies. And then we get to this Parsha, where the Torah talks openly about pregnancy loss and infertility. You cannot control the giving of life, the Torah tells us, because God controls that. But you can control what you do while you're alive. You will live out the fullness of your days by controlling your body, by putting it to good use. And according to Jewish tradition, every person has the right to reproductive health and has the right to tell their story and be respected for it. To encourage this point, the Talmud tells several stories of women who chose to use contraception or abort pregnancies because those pregnancies would cause them hardship. And not just life-threatening hardship, it's not only if their life was in danger. They tell the story of one rabbi's wife who had a particularly painful labor with her first pregnancy and from then on used contraception. Later halachic Jewish legal sources determine that a person can abort a pregnancy if it causes them emotional suffering or endangers their mental health. And it's not that rabbis are all advocating for preventing or terminating pregnancy for all people, but they recognize that not everyone who wants to get pregnant can, and not everyone who can get pregnant wants to. A person with a uterus has the right to decide if and when they want to support a fetus. Jewish tradition is clear, it is their decision and their decision alone. This is a radically different position than many in our country take on human life. Many states have moved to limit abortion access and access to contraception. And with a conservative leaning Supreme Court, access to reproductive health care is even more threatened. At the same time, many state and federal programs have defunded or limited services that care for children and parents. 
to Judaism, this is the ultimate hypocrisy. You cannot say that you care about protecting life, which is God's job, and abdicate responsibility for protecting the fullness of it, which is our job. Once the decision to try to create new life is made, God takes over. It's out of our hands. Even with our desire, our attempts to control our own procreation, even with all of the medical interventions we have access to, we ultimately don't know what the outcome is going to be. There's an amazing series of Midrashim about an angel named Layla, or Lila, which is Hebrew for night, who comes at the moment of conception and catches a drop of seed, like a little graphic, and brings it to God in heaven saying, what kind of person should this become? And God makes decisions about, should this droplet become a person at all? And what are certain qualities of the life they would have? Their physical and intellectual attributes, if they will be rich or poor, for example. What God does not comment on, what God cannot comment on, is whether they will be a righteous or a wicked person. That's up to us. So once God makes these decisions, short person, tall person, strong person, hairy person, Layla flies off to the Garden of Eden where she selects a future soul, which I haven't seen the movie Pixar, the recent Pixar movie Soul. Rabbi Lizzie tells me this is the plot, so it's on my list to watch if anyone wants to watch it with me this week. And once Layla has a soul from the Garden of Eden, she flies back to the fetus in utero and she lights a candle showing the fetus the whole world from end to end, all the places they could go in their life. Layla teaches the fetus everything there is to know from Torah and from the world. And then right before that baby is born, Layla strikes them above the mouth and creates this little divot we have right under our nose. It's called the philtrum for those of you wondering. So we emerge into the world crying because as the Midras teaches, we've lost this sacred knowledge because we know that we are left with the responsibility to fill a blank slate of our character with good deeds. Or at least that's what the rabbis believe. And they teach us that each human being is given a soul that comes directly from the breath of God that was chosen just for us, but also that we are not filled with this soul until we, until we take our own first independent breath. <sighs> ah! That first cry of a baby is its first moment with its soul. And at that moment, God has given life and we're in control again, responsible for protecting and nurturing the human life. And it is all of our responsibility to help a person realize the vision that Layla showed them. It's on them to fill their blank slate with good deeds, but it is on us to help them do that. And I think there's something really powerful in the way that these references to fertility, to the creation of new life, bookend a Parsha that's pretty full of sort of banal laws, right? Like what happens if your ox gores another ox? Also, what happens if you struggle to have a child? The Torah recognizes the sacred potential of a fetus, a future human being, and also recognizes that we are the ones who fill out that potential, who fulfill it and fill up a life with meaning. That without love and care and healthy relationships and safe bodies, we cannot live out the dream that Layla showed us in utero, a life of exploration and learning and community. And so by placing these laws around other matters, like how to take care of each other in our bodies, by giving us rules about how to structure our time 
how to hold each other responsible for damages to our bodies and property, how to guard the property of others. The Torah teaches us that conception and pregnancy and birth are a natural part of the human experience. They're things we are allowed to talk about, to make decisions on, to ask for community support on, because they are what allows us to fill that life up with as much meaning as we can. It is our obligation as Jews to protect and respect reproductive rights, just as much as it is our obligation as Jews to comfort those who are grieving a pregnancy loss or struggling to get pregnant. So if you wanna help protect reproductive rights here in Chicago, I recommend you check out the Midwest Access Coalition, which supports people traveling to, from, and within the Midwest to get access to safe and legal abortions. And if you have other organizations that you know and support and trust, and you wanna share those in the chat, please go ahead and do that. I also wanna thank the National Council of Jewish Women for organizing this Repro Shabbat, encouraging Jewish communities around the country to talk about reproductive health in their sermons and at their Shabbat gatherings, both to advocate for reproductive rights in this country and also to recognize that this is a welcome subject of conversation in our communities. So in addition to an invitation to take action on reproductive rights, which I hope you'll take, I want each of you to know that your fertility story, whatever it may be, your struggles, your joys, your decision not to have children, it is welcome here. If you wanna to talk to someone about it, Rabbi Lizzie and I are here to listen because those stories of pregnancy loss and infertility and choosing to terminate pregnancies and even making the decision not to have children can feel stigmatized. The full story of your life is yours to share. And we are here to join you in experiencing that fullness of life. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, tune in to Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishkan Chicago. Until then, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. As always, we want to hear from you. This episode has been brought to you by me, Zach Weinberg, our editor and producer, Hannah Rehack, our rabbinical team, Rabbis Lizzie Heideman and Dina Cowens, and our director of communications, Ashley Donahue. On behalf of Teen Mishkan... Thanks for tuning in.